This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. This week's Dreamland was recorded prior to the House hearing on UAP. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jeremy Vaney, in for Whitley Strieber, and uh, you're watching and or listening to, uh, however you get your podcasts, Dreamland. Um, today, we're finally going to do it, folks. We're going to talk about disclosure and David Grush in UFO videos, and all the stuff you love. With Mick West! That's right! <laughs> Mick, welcome to the program. Thank you, uh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Mick West, according to Wikipedia, and you can correct this if it's wrong, is a British-American science writer, skeptical investigator, retired video game programmer. Um, he is the creator of the websites Contrail Science and Metabunk, he investigates and debunks pseudoscientific claims and conspiracy theories such as chemtrails and UFOs. And he is the author of Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. So this ain't going to be Jeremy Corbell, in other words. Mick, uh, is any of that wrong? <laughs> that uh, it's more, more or less accurate. I think the only thing quibble I would have there is uh, the, the excessive use of the term debunk which I know has a very negative connotation in, in UFO circles. Uh, and really what I do with UFOs is more investigate uh, UFOs well, see, and try to figure out what they are. This is actually why I wanted to have you as a quote-unquote debunker or, uh, you know, I don't know if professionally, I think you don't really get paid as a skeptic, but professional yeah, skeptic yeah, or whatever, um, is because, now I hadn't, no offense, I hadn't really heard of you until a few years ago, when I started, people started referencing you on Twitter. Uh -huh. And um, the thing that struck me about you as a so-called debunker is the respect part. And I didn't realize that you'd written a book that is Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. So obviously, for you to put that in the title, did you see, a, you must have seen a need or something, right, for this respectful dialogue uh, between yeah. skeptics yeah. and... Yeah, I mean, like, all, all three things there in the title are there for good reason, facts, logic, and respect. I mean, obviously, like, facts and logic are what you need to figure stuff out. But the respect thing is all about uh, communicating. And you can't have a productive dialogue with someone if you don't have some measure of respect for them and they have respect for you. So the, the idea of, uh, of highlighting that aspect of it was to kind of you know, enable people to talk to each other about topics where they disagree. Because a lot of the time when someone you know, explains some idea to you and it seems kind of wacky, like they say, oh, yeah, I think the earth is flat, your, your instinct is just to laugh at them or uh, call, them, call them stupid or, or uneducated, depending on how well you know them, of course. Uh, but you know, really... If you start talking to people and trying to understand where they're coming from and you know, respect that they are human beings and they've arrived at their position with some uh, degree of thought, you know, maybe they're wrong, but uh, you know, they've, they've thought about it, try to understand where they're coming from. Respect them, they'll respect you, and then you'll be able to have a discussion and you'll be able to come to some kind of better understanding uh, eventually. But do you feel like that's true for you? Like, has that played out in reality? Because I see a lot of... Oh, yeah. Venom coming at you on Twitter because sure. that's where I, you know, see. Well, of course, this is social media, so that's going to happen. But does it get under your skin ever, or does it just always bounce off you? Like, do you find yourself becoming uh, Gollum, or are you still well, kind of a, a nice <laughs> hobbit? <laughs> 
I'm a um, a nice hobbit, although I'm a bit tall to be a <laughs> hobbit. I think I'm more of the, the Gandalf type. Excellent. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, it doesn't bother me, and the reason it doesn't bother me is that I, I know that I essentially have a fairly large audience. You know, I like you know, tens of thousands of people following me on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, so I know that when I say something or put out a video or a tweet or something, lots and lots of different people are going to see it. And people are going to have a, a range of reactions to that, you know, based on who they are. So it's not like I put out a tweet and everybody who reads it hates it and thinks I'm an idiot. Sure, I put out a treat, a tweet, and some people are going to, you know, think that I'm an idiot and, and hate me because of it, and perhaps even write some mean tweets in response. But there's still tens of thousands of people there who aren't, you know, saying anything, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a few people who say nice things. About those, do you ever egg them on, do. though? Do you start doing tweets to just sort of jab at them? Well, you know, sometimes you do tweets that you know will create a reaction. But really what I'm trying to do there is is to create, you make people think about the situation. You know, I will you know, post uh, you know, context around other people's tweets. So I say, like, for example, Avi Loeb uh, posted about, you know, they discover some little iron micrometeorites that he thinks are from an, uh, an alien spaceship, essentially, or some kind of probe or some kind of advanced technology. And so I would post something about uh, regular micrometeorites and the fact mm -hmm. that they're very, very common and you find them on the seabed and people actually use sleds with magnets to actually find these little spheres of iron. And, you know, maybe that's what he found. So I'd post that knowing that you know some people will you know uh get angry at me because i'm like saying oh you know you're you're smart you think you're smarter than Navi Loeb. but i'm not i'm just trying to you know move the conversation forward so yeah i do post things to prompt discussion my new book them has now been out since march of 2023 i would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things that almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? The answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so. And so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience. And this is getting more and more important over time. More and more important. Them. I saw the future when I was writing that book. Didn't know I would, but I did. You can read it now and see for yourself. Uh, I don't know if I want to get into that yet, but um, 
but maybe we'll just throw it out there. The, the idea that somebody uh, has a degree, you know, a master's degree in something, or is a professor mm -hmm. at a, uh, a famous and great school, or is has military credentials, um, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I think people tend to believe that that gives them an up in the uh, discernment yeah. category, and it doesn't oh, seem to pan out. Yeah. Is is that what you find? Well, uh, all things being equal, you're going to go with the person who's got better education and better experience. But we don't have to just blindly trust what people say. A lot of the times we can check it. Like, for example, um, Travis Taylor the chief scientist, uh, well, I don't know if he's the chief scientist on the Skinwalker Ranch, but he's, he's a scientist. There's him and Eric Bard, the two scientists on, Eric, on Skinwalker Ranch, and he was formerly the chief scientist on the UAP task force. Like he said, just you know, a very simple example, uh, the maximum speed of an insect is one meter per second. Uh, you know, he's, he's not an expert in insects, but you know, he's got lots of PhDs, so you think you know, he'd have checked this. But I just looked it up, and that's true. And that's not true at all. It's, uh, you know, one meter per second is about two and a half miles per hour, which is a slow walk. And obviously, insects go a lot faster than that. And if you look into the actual speed of them, they go as fast as like 20, 30 miles per hour. So just because someone's got a PhD doesn't mean that you shouldn't check the things that they are saying, uh, especially when they're things that are very easy to verify. Someone says something straightforward like, that couldn't be an insect because the maximum speed of an insect uh, is far slower than that. You can look it up. You don't have to have a PhD in, in anything just to look things up on the internet. And also a lot of it is, is very simple mathematics. You, know, you can actually do the, the, the simple math, like you know, divide time, uh, distance divided by time, and it gives you, uh, it gives you the speed. You know, it's very, very simple things that you can do, and you don't have to trust the word of someone. So unfortunately, a lot of people do trust and i think a lot of the people who do have these credentials are kind of got used to being trusted and they're almost like not checking their own work like they'll just blurt stuff out that sounds good and people around them will be like, oh yeah and they'll be nodding yeah that's, that sounds about right but they don't check it and what i'm kind of doing some of the time is just doing that checking that people should be doing do you uh, also on the other side find or have you found in the past that there are at least certain debunkers who they've got a belief system that maybe it's um, um, humanism. <laughs> I find a lot of, I don't know if you're a humanist or not, but there are, I find that there are a lot of humanists that are in the skeptical world. And so they've got this sort of materialist humanist thing yeah. that they have to defend. And so they come up with things like, for instance, the one that always sticks in my mind is from back in the day was, Crop circles uh, are probably hedgehogs running in a circle. You know, like <laughs> things like that. Like if you're debunking yes. bunk with other bunk, is that a problem? <laughs> it, it is. And I, I think people uh, leap towards explanations that they prefer. No matter what, you know, what side of the fence they are in, in the discussion, uh, people have a point of view and they, they don't like it when their point of view is challenged. And so if something, something comes along um, that looks anomalous, uh, then they, they want to find an explanation for it. And so they might go very quickly towards a natural explanation 
like you know, hedgehogs for crop circles or, or balloons for, uh, for, for UFOs, which might not always be the right solution when you, when you look into it in more detail. So there's certainly a rush to judgment, I think, in, uh, in any type of investigation where you've got people who are, are polarized in their opinions of what things should be, when really you've got to approach an investigation with a, a neutral uh, frame of mind. I mean, you're sure you can, you can take lots of things into account, like if you know that hedgehogs tend to make crop circles, then you could suspect them as a candidate in this, this new crop circle. But if this is something that you've never even heard of before and you're just kind of making it up, hmm, drunk hedgehogs, that sounds, sounds more plausible than aliens, so I'm going to go with drunk hedgehogs, then, then no, you shouldn't really be just like making one thing up when you, someone else is making something else up. So you, you need to you know, keep an open mind and not rush to judgment. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure unknowncountry.com there's no place like it in the world have you ever read communion or have you never read communion it's out in a new edition very powerful a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full, in audio format, and believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. I know, um, you know, in the past, at least, uh, the sort of public-facing skeptics were dominated by magicians and um, yeah. scientists or science writers, but you come out of computer programming. You gave us the Tony Hawk Pro Skate video games, right? So does that affect, like, I imagine being able to create out of ones and zeros lifelike images uh, maybe affects how you see, I don't know, the ability to hoax versus you know, what we can actually do that a lot of people yeah. can't see what we can actually do from the inside like that. Is that a factor in why you've taken this on? Yeah, well, I think with all the skeptics, uh, they, they, you know, you use your own strengths. So magicians were very big in this, and still are very big in the skeptical community because a lot of the things to be skeptical of 
are kind of paranormal claims, like claims of clairvoyance and psychic powers and psychokinesis and stuff like that, a lot of which can be replicated by stage magicians uh, doing stage magic. Uh, and so you know, they are the ideal people to be able to detect uh, tricks like that when people are trying to fool people uh, or, or replicate it. Uh, and what I'm doing is looking mostly at videos. So my expertise is in, in video games, and uh, uh, that doesn't mean that the games are making uh, <laughs> videotapes, but it means that um, you know, you're, you're creating something that's a picture on the TV screen. You know, when you're playing a game, it's, you know, obviously you're, you're moving your thumbs around or you're doing whatever the interface is, and things happen on the screen. Things move around in a 3D world. So I understand how to go from you know, one thing to another. I know how to go from inputs to things moving around. So that's kind of a little bit about how the physics works. And I also know how to take a, a 3D representation of the world. You know, we know, let's say, there's a cube over here, there's a doorway over here, there's a little guy running around over here in three dimensions. And how do you take that you know, internal representation and translate it into a picture on the screen? Because uh, photographs are two dimensions. They're just a flat, a flat thing, a flat surface. Uh, uh, and a video is the same thing. You know, you, unless you're in virtual reality, which is just two, two images, uh, then you, you're just looking at flat images. Now, the problem with that is that when you're looking at something like a UFO flying around, you don't know how far away it is. You just know that it's moving from here to here on the screen. And if it doesn't get any bigger or smaller, you can't really tell if it's moving forward or backwards. And if you don't know how big it is to start with, even if it changes size, you don't know uh, how much it is moving in three dimensions. But what you can do is use the, the same math that I use in 3D video game programming, kind of put it in reverse and you can figure out what the range of solutions are. And then you can use various other clues from the scene to try to figure out where it might be, where it might be moving. And a lot of times with, with UFO videos, we get what we call a, an SFA, uh, small or far away. Like you don't know if what you're looking at is a tiny object or a big object. And a lot of people assume automatically it's a big object that's far away, so it looks like uh, uh, it looks like it's small on screen, but people think you know it's flying over those trees. Therefore, it must be as far away as those trees. When it could, in fact, just be um, two feet in front of the camera and be something very, very small, like a, like an insect. Uh, so, understanding that three-dimensional relationship is very, very important, and it's certainly something that I I got from video game programming. So is there a point at which you overstep your bounds of your expertise? Like we're going to be talking, hopefully, about David Grush. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I'm not in the military, so I, I don't... My, my angle of David Grush is, as myself an experiencer, I don't uh, see how these ex that any of these sort of high strangeness experiences go the way of that type of narrative. And so I'm always looking for, okay, what's the rub here? And plus history just dictates that when a UFO whistleblower comes out, it, it's nonsense. <laughs> so yeah. I'm always looking for that. But I don't even know that that qualifies me. But what, what qualifies you to talk about David Grush? Well, I think pretty much the same thing as anybody else. Uh, he says things and you can kind of just do you know, a consistency check, you know, a reality check on what he's actually saying, like what is the actual evidence. Now, if, if all we're doing is like some expert comes forward and tells us the story 
he tells us these things have happened. In David Grush's case, he's saying, like, you know, I discovered this secret program, and then I talked to various people, and they told me things about it, and I've seen documents. So we've got, you know, his word for that. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to be an expert to see that the issue there is that all we have is his story. We don't have the actual evidence. You, know, you don't actually need to have a degree in physics or anything like that to, to understand that there are some problems with the story so far uh, that uh, you know, need to be explained or need to be backed up with actual evidence. And you don't need to be, have a degree in physics or anything like that to understand that some of the claims are pretty extraordinary, like the idea that we have 12 flying saucers in various hangars um, around the United States and other countries have the same ones uh, some of these craft were as big as a football field, and uh, you know the various other claims that have been made by Grush and and other people are you know, quite extraordinary. If you look, uh, one of the claims by his uh, his lawyer associate Danny Sheehan was that one of the craft was bigger on the inside than on the outside, which is you know sure it's it's something that you could say oh yes we can imagine how that would work with physics. Uh, some kind of space warping thing, but that would be something that would be so unusual that you really need a bit more evidence that it happened than just some anonymous source relayed secondhand via Dennis Sheehan. And the same thing with a lot of the stuff that, that Grush is saying. Uh, I await uh, the congressional hearings with interest. You know, I think we kind of need to figure out what's going on here. We need to figure out why David Grush is saying the things he's saying. You know, maybe there is some sort of secret program that he wasn't given access to, and maybe that is illegal. Uh, I think it's very unlikely that it's aliens. Maybe there was some kind of um, disinformation campaign where they were using the idea of UFOs to kind of distract from something else and it kind of got a bit out of hand. We just don't know at this point. And it's kind of a wait and see game. So uh, is it Ross Colhart? Is that the name of the man who interviewed yes. him? Okay. Yes. So Ross Colhart seems to be, you know, he comes off as I'm just interviewing this man. And then it turns out, no, this is more, you have a belief. And then it turns out, it seems though, as though he's more of a handler of David Grush. Is that fair? Like, I feel like we've seen this playbook before. Uh, yeah, I would say very much Is that something that smells bad to you? It, 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 it's uh, certainly a concern. You know, you say, you see, you see the interview on uh, News Nation and there's, there's Ross Colhart and Dave Grush together. But, you know, they've essentially been working together for many, many months uh, before this point. They've been going around talking to other people. They did a kind of a, a show and tell event uh, for Canadian opposition MPs in Canada, where they went up with, with Gary Nolan and you know, Ross, Ross attended via, uh, uh, via Zoom, as far as I know. But you know they have been involved in this this attempt to promote this particular narrative and promote Dave Grush's involvement in it uh, for a long time. So we're not getting this what we need, which would be kind of an independent investigation of it by journalists who can ask skeptical questions rather than questions that are designed to promote a certain narrative. This is Whitley Strieber. Listen to me now from June of 2010 talking to Alan Lammers about an incredible thing that happened to him on the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. 
here you are in South Sulawesi in the little town in the district of Sandu Batu. You were, what happened? You were told something rather strange. Well, we were told before we went, um, like my, my friends that I worked with in, with the NGO, they told me that when you pack, because it kind of happened by accident, I went out to buy a raincoat. It rains quite a bit in this part of the world. And so I went out and I bought a yellow raincoat. And my friend said, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't take that to Walla Walla. And I said, well, why not? And he says, well, it's the, you can't wear that color. So anyways, excuse me. So I thought, okay, well, what colors can I wear? They, they said, well, you can only wear black or white. You cannot wear any bright colors, no bright green, especially no yellow. And, you know, that's all you should bring. And I, and I said, well, what would happen? And they said, well, uh, people disappear. You will find the rest of that story, and it is brain-bending, in the June 5th edition of Dreamland, June 5, 2010 edition of Dreamland in the unknowncountry.com archive. This archive is one of the richest of its kind in the world, probably is the richest of its kind in the world, filled with extraordinary shows, of which this show is certainly one, this show with Alan Lammers. You will never have heard anything like it. It does what Dreamland is here to do. It opens your mind to the fact that we live inside a hidden reality that we prefer not to acknowledge, but not here. Here on UnknownCountry.com, we do acknowledge it. We live in it and we love it. Subscribe today. You can't go wrong. Go to UnknownCountry.com right now and get started. My new book, Them, has now been out since March of 2023. I would like to thank everyone for the wonderful reception. Those who have read it, who have posted thoughtful reviews on Amazon, those who have listened. It's an important book for me. And also, over the months, it has become a very strange book because if you listen to the Oversight Committee UAP hearings, you will hear David Grush saying things that almost sound like they were taken right out of the second part of them. And I thought to myself, how did I do that? The answer is, I have no idea. But the book is really very prophetic. And I think you should read it if you hadn't done so. And that's what this is all about. Read it, listen to it. It's really worth your time. Jacques Vallée certainly thought so. Mitch Horowitz thought so. Jeff Kripal thought so. Leslie Kane, Diana Pasolka, and all of the others who gave it blurbs thought so. And so do an awful lot of people who have reviewed it. So pick up a copy today. Go to Amazon and get a copy. Go to Audible and get the audio book. Listen to them. Read them. It's a whole new vision of how we should think about the close encounter experience. And this is getting more and more important over time. More and more important. Them. I saw the future when I was writing that book.
Didn't know I would, but I did. You can read it now and see for yourself. Are there any of the whistleblowers that have come out of late who you uh, believe? Well, I think uh, a lot or of believe the whistleblowers... They believe it? Yeah, I think a lot of the whistleblowers believe what they are saying. And it may well be that Grush himself believes that what he is saying. Uh, it doesn't mean that what they are saying is accurate, though. People can form beliefs uh, based on a variety of things, you know, things that people have told them or shown them or uh, experiences that they have had that perhaps they misperceived or they have uh, evolved false memories about. The, it doesn't mean that they're lying. Uh, so when some whistleblower comes forward and says, you know, this happened, you know, I saw these things, it doesn't mean that they made it up, but it also doesn't mean that those things actually happened. And you know, this is, gives us a very unfortunate situation in that we've got all these these people, often very well-meaning people, coming forward, blowing the whistle, but their stories can't be corroborated. They can't be backed up and they can't be proven that you know these things happened or were flying saucers were where they said they were. And I feel you know, it's kind of sad that that's probably what's going to happen with Grush. And I think that's already been telegraphed by um, Ross Colhart. He said he thinks that we're not going to see the president standing up and saying aliens are real. He thinks it's all going to be, in, in his words, put back in the box. He mm. thinks it's all going to be basically covered up. They're going to not you know, explain this secret alien crash, crash retrieval program, and uh, it'll go but Why, back why in are the they box. asking for hearings? <laughs> uh, well, the, the hearings, you know, the, the, the secret stuff that he would tell them would be in the closed portion of the, of the hearing. I think you know, they, if they have public hearings and he names names and points out where the UFOs are, that would be great. But I don't think they're going to have him reveal anything. And the things that he is going to re he doesn't actually know anything, so it's really going to be about the other people rather than him, the people who are actually claimed to work on the programs. Those are the ones who have the really interesting information. Grush, I think, is kind of, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the chink in the dam uh, with these people who believe that this is going on. And now they're coming forward. They're going to talk to Congress. Congress is going to investigate. And we'll see what happens. I, mean, I have my suspicions, and you know, I, I suspect simply that there isn't actually a secret uh, UFO crash retrieval program going on. Uh, and it, there are other crash retrieval programs for retrieving crashed Soviet uh, spaceships and satellites and submarines and planes and the same thing with Chinese stuff and from other countries as well. And these are top secret programs. And it may be that when he was investigating stuff, he kind of bumped up against these top secret programs that he didn't have clearance for. He requested clearance and it was denied. And he thought that he should have clearance because he thought it was a UFO program. And he became convinced of this. And other people likewise are convinced. Uh, that's that's what I think is the most likely outcome. Of course, it's quite possible. Well, I wouldn't say quite possible. It is possible that there, there is, at some point, our military has recovered something that somebody thought was actually from an alien spaceship. Uh, I don't know what that might be or why they thought it or if it actually was, but it's not out of the realm of possibility, so I certainly would keep that on the list of possible explanations for what's going on. But again, you know, it's going to be wait and see, and it might be wait and see and nothing happens. Well, I know I had seen where you'd said online um, 
that is, it's possible that the people who are coming to him in confidence and telling him of these programs are working on sort of compartmentalized, like you're saying, you know, other you mm -hmm. know, foreign crash retrievals, and they might think that they're working on, they might think they're reverse engineering um, alien stuff, but it's actually foreign. Is that a more likely scenario than these people are coming to him because they put no offense, David, like some sort of, you know, useful idiot in charge that they could feed this stuff to and create a narrative for whatever reason? It's, yeah, it's kind of difficult because you, when you think what's more likely, we're talking about things that we don't have that much experience of. Uh, we do know that there was some degree of, of letting the public, you know, speculate about UFOs and pilots speculate about UFOs and aliens because it was easier than explaining the U-2 uh, test flights. You know, when the U-2 was being flown at um, over 60,000 feet, pilots were reporting it. And, you know, it was a secret American plane that no one's supposed to know about. But pilots would occasionally see there's something, you know, 30,000 feet above them when they're at 30,000 feet and they're going, what the heck is that? They report it to air traffic control. It was easier to let it be talked about as, as a UFO. So, you know, that's possible. But... It seems like it's getting rather complicated now. the The idea of um, a story about uh, UFO crash retrievals covering up Russian crash retrievals being deliberately promoted by the government you know, is that is that plausible? It's hard to hard to say which is more likely. And if it is what's happened, it's kind of backfired really, because now you've they've managed uh, the the UFO enthusiasts who who believe that it's UFO, it's actually aliens. I've got so much momentum going that it kind of risks blowing the whole operation if it is in fact a cover-up thing. Mm. Uh, but and then the other idea that we're trying to compare it against is could they could people have got sufficiently confused about the whole situation because there's so much compartmentalization uh, of of what's going on that they think that they are working on on UFOs. And I, I, I'm not, I don't know about that because it's hard to say because everything is so secret. We don't really know what's going on. And we do know some UFO whistleblowers who claim to be whistleblowers have come forward like with the, the Disclosure Project um, with Greer. And some of them don't seem to be credible. They give, they give stories that are so extraordinary. What? And, Greer is <laughs> and promoting the, something not credible? Wait a minute. The, Back the up. The people <laughs> who come forward, like, you know, they, they, again, they seem to mean well, but then they will tell you stories about having seen bases on the moon and you know, maybe teleporting to Mars and things like that. You know, very extreme things for which you know, it seems very unlikely. Uh, but Greer promotes it as fact. And you know, perhaps these are people who actually worked at NASA or wherever and somehow, for some reason, became convinced. So I think that's kind of evidence that it might happen that you know, sometimes people do get the wrong idea, their brains get fixated on a certain thing and they think something is true when it actually isn't, especially people who retire and then many, many years later, they start telling stories. I think there was a guy who had a deathbed confession. I can't remember the name of him, but there's a famous photo of him holding up a photo of an alien that he says was an actual alien that they all studied or he knew the people who studied this particular alien and then someone found the matching alien at walmart he was just this doll uh, alien doll that had been for sale for, for many years and it was just a photograph of that exact same doll 
So people can get fooled. You know, people sometimes have very high opinions of their own intellect. And once they get an idea, it's kind of difficult for them to kind of un unwind that idea if they're actually wrong. And so they compound the idea and they kind of go with it. But, you know, this, this isn't me trying to like say everybody's crazy and making things up. These are just possibilities. These are things that we need to consider. If we're going to consider things like, you know, a massive government cover up, we've also got to consider the possibility that there's some kind of uh, a cock up, like some kind of they messed up. Uh, the individual people talking. And we also have to consider the idea that there are some real secret programs going on. And then even more kind of unlikely, but still something we need to consider is that there might have been in the past some alien spaceship that crashed and we recovered the uh, debris from it. And that's what led to all of this talk. Uh, I don't think the last thing is particularly likely, but you know, all these things are things we have to consider because they're all pretty unusual, but something unusual is happening. You know, it used to be sort of a truism that whatever the military has is going to be some something between 50 and 75 years ahead of what the public knows. Um, if that ever was true, uh, do you think that that's still true? Or Because we don't know where our energy source is going nowadays. So would they build something that far advanced that runs on gas, for instance? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, these estimates of 50 years in advance are a little bit over the top. Uh, the military builds things that need to be very reliable. So they often actually use fairly old technology. And if you get inside, you know, an FA-18 uh, from, say, 20 years ago, it doesn't feel like it's 50 years uh, ahead of its time. Uh, it's it's kind of clunky and mechanical, and you know it, it records uh, the cockpit video onto um, uh, VHS tape, essentially eight millimeter VHS tape. Uh, it's got all these 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 simple things. Like you think back to like say the um, the moon landings, like the computers that we use on the 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 the, the lunar lander and the uh, the the command module were very simple computers compared to what was actually available at the time, but they were very, very reliable computers. They were just very straightforward, simple little things. And the same thing goes for things like missiles and things like that. We don't have super advanced computers in them because modern computers are a little bit fragile. You want something that's tried and tested. So in, in, in many ways, I think military technology that is deployed is quite a bit behind uh, the, the leading edge of, of technology, what's actually out there. So you uh, now, saying that, I, I got to say, is leading to my fear that what's really going on, what we're really seeing is the lie of our, you know, sort of the American military might and ingenuity and all of that, plus everyone who's ever been in the military or is a scientist, you know, is, is the best mind, is the top. Hmm. And what we're seeing is it's just people. And it's just like can, technology that's convenient to have. Yeah. It's probably better than what everyone else has, just simply because we pour mo more money into our military budget than anyone else on the planet. But yeah, so well, it's... do we have, I, I just want to ask it this way, like, does this give truth to the lie of sort of American uh, exceptionalism in those ways? That we hope we're well, I mean, completely you have protected to, by geniuses, and we're not. Yeah, you have to compare it to other countries, I, I would say. And I think, to a certain degree, 
you know, Russia is kind of falling apart to a degree at the moment. But China is still very much on the ascendant. Uh, they've been pouring a vast amount of money into infrastructure and into to research, scientific research, and they're rapidly getting a much more powerful and more sophisticated uh, military uh, than than the United States. So, you know, Americans Americans were certainly exceptional. Uh, you know, they are now, but you know, certainly like ten, twenty years ago. But that that is changing as geopolitics change, and China becomes more and more of a, a major superpower, especially in terms of the military. Uh, but you know, we've always had very good science here. Uh, a lot of you know, scientific discoveries you know, came from America in the last uh, the last you know, 50 plus years, like computers, things like that. And uh, uh, a lot of you know, technology throughout the world has been driven by things that originally came from America. You look into the military, we do have amazing planes, but then again, so do other countries. Sure, sometimes they're copying things from the U.S., but they're also advancing. Like China had this uh, this hypersonic craft that could actually circle the Earth a couple of times before it came down on its target, which made it very, very difficult uh, to, to do anything about. And that's something that at the time they said that we had nothing at all like that. So they're not far off. We're kind of achieving parity. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think there's this, this, this secret... Um, kind of parallel world of scientists working on things that is 50 years in the future in the military. There is there's very, very talented people in the military uh, industrial complex working on things that are going to be rolled out, you know, 10 years down the line. You know, the, the, the new stealth bomber that, that was unveiled recently has been in the works for a long time. But they're not super duper advanced they're not like anti-gravity or anything like that they're just you know much better versions of the existing thing like these 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 new craft that they have they have much more integrated computer systems uh, fly-by-wire things they have uh, very complicated computer designed contours that reflect radar you know you remember the old kind of uh, say the f uh, f117 was it the the kind of stealth fighter it had these very angular shapes and the reason it had these very angular shapes was that it was designed basically using 1970s computers. And the, you know, they weren't using computers that were 50 years ahead of their time. They were just using the computers they had back then. And they couldn't figure out how to make it curved. So they just, they just had a very simple configuration of, of facets uh, that made it, gave it this ridiculous angular look. And this is why the newer jets all have curves, because now we have super powerful computers that can figure out how to make these curves. But... Yeah, if we had today's computers 50 years ago, we would have used them then to make them, but we, we're not using it. Why, what's the point for having technology that's 50 years ahead of its time if you have to wait 50 years to use it? Right. <laughs> well, I guess just my fear is, um, in terms of all this, is like, for instance, there was the young military guy, I don't remember his name, who just recently got in trouble for putting documents on some mm -hmm. social media site or whatever, you know, to... Discord. For likes, yeah, on Discord to like bolster his own ego, presumably not anything more than that. And if you've got someone like David Grush, who's being told stories and everyone involved is that wrong for whatever reason, then, you know, the idea that it's just one bad apple, right. Is like, no, there might be a systemic failure where there's a lot of people who we just assume are together and in the know and are, 
whether we fight against them as you know a disclosure activist or embrace them or whatever, they're the authority figure, right? They know what's going yeah. on, and maybe that's just not true. No, and that's that's a very good point, and it's something I've thought about a lot. Is that what might be going on is that, like you say, things aren't as good as we'd hope they would be. The Pentagon isn't as competent as you would hope it would be. I think you've only got to look at the uh, the first UAP task force, uh, which was set up, um, I guess, just kind of shortly after the New York Times article came out, like a year or so after that. I don't know, it was 2018, 2019, something like that. But the people running this this UAP task force, you have people like like Travis Taylor and Jay Stratton. Jay Stratton was the lead scientist, and Travis Taylor was no sorry, Jay Stratton was the ran the whole thing. He was the guy who had all the security clearances. He could go anywhere he wanted and do whatever he wanted. And then he, he hired uh, Travis Taylor because he got impressed by this book Travis Taylor had written about alien warfare. But they didn't do a very good job uh, of of doing anything. They had like you know a hundred and 15 cases and they sold one of them as a balloon you know the the, the next UAP task force i think has been doing a a, a better job uh, arrow uh, they've actually you know kind of resolved a very large number of, of their cases to be things like like balloons they've actually figured them out but you know travis taylor has consistently been shown to make these mistakes over and over again and yet he is the person who was uh, assigned to be the chief scientist of this task force. Now, you would expect if the Pentagon is putting together a task force of people to investigate something as important as, as UAPs, they would pick people who had this an, a known track record of, of solving issues like this. And they didn't. They just kind of like, oh, you, you're interested in UFOs, you can be on the task force. And it seems... It seems like you know, they really didn't have a very professional attitude to, to what they were doing. And I'm not sure if that is something that reflects kind of a deeper systemic failure or if it's something that's just because UFOs and UAPs were a bit of a, you know, a stigmatized thing for a long time and still not really taken seriously. But then you've got to look at you know, what you were saying there with all these people are coming forward now who have become convinced that there is a secret UFO crash retrieval program. Now, if there is, yeah, that's I guess that's fine, but that indicates another problem with all the cover-up and everything. But if there isn't, you know, how did all these people get this idea? Are they all just you know UFO enthusiasts like Travis Taylor and Jay Stratton who just you know became convinced for some reason? Uh, I guess you know time will tell. I uh, think so that not, it's uh, going to end not up too hopeful. I'll give you the spoiler alert. This is what it's going to be. Ready? <laughs> Okay. All these guys are certain that this is true, and so they're pushing it so that the government will feel pressed to look into it to prove that they're right. Mm -hmm. Like Lou Elizondo and all those guys. Yes. I think the yeah, fact that they're... Uh, to, for, to me, the real conspiracy, if they're, or if that's the right word, maybe it isn't even, but the real problem, the real thing to uncover for the media to latch onto here to me is like from Harry Reid on up, we see people f funneling money into their pet UFO project that should have been allocated to other things like taxpayer resources that Harry Reid even said, yeah, I just kind of lied about what I was going to use this money yeah. for and put it into my pet project here. 
Um, or, you know, hey, we should have been looking for Chinese spy balloons, but we were looking for UFOs, sorry. You know, that kind of thing, how is that not setting off alarm bells and becoming like a big media story? Is it not a big media story waiting to it, happen? It should be. I, I think part of the issue there is that, uh, well, there's a couple of issues. I think one is that it's a small amount of money uh, for the overall Pentagon budget. You know, people like to you know, harp on things like the, the Pentagon did a study on you know, pesticides in frogs or something like that, and they spent you know, $5 million on it, and that's a terrible thing. And sometimes people will find these little things, but no one really cares about you know, relatively small amounts of money. It's just kind of like a political talking point. But I think the other thing is that the actual reality of what's going on is, is kind of too silly for the mainstream media to talk about. You know, when you actually look into the history of things like, like ATIP and ORSAP, it goes back to Skinwalker Ranch. And I think a lot of the media are just like, this is just ridiculous. Like, all right, we'll talk about, you know, this, there's a, a program studying UFOs and, you know, we're trying to figure out what these things are off, off Virginia. But it all started with, like, you know, one of the scientists from the Pentagon seeing tubular bells in the kitchen of a ranch uh, where werewolves have been spotted. I mean, it, it's 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 almost like it's a uh, it it almost like inoculates itself against scrutiny because it's so ridiculous. It's hiding under this 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 ridiculousness. You can't actually get down to the the root of it because they don't the media doesn't take it seriously. But it is serious. This is. This is what we're actually talking about. You know, Jay Stratton like had supernatural encounters at Skinwalker Ranch, and then later he's running the UAP task force. You know, Travis Taylor is is the now the lead scientist was the the a, a scientist at Skinwalker Ranch, and he was the chief scientist on the UAP task force. And apparently now he he uh, he consults with the Space Force, and he's he's running a UAP program for Radiance Technology. It, it's 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 almost too silly to be true, and I think that prevents some journalists from actually digging into it. But they really should. But so, what's the silly part? Because to me, it's like if if they honestly believe they had these experiences, that would be the thing that makes triggers them to want to research this stuff. Yeah. Well, it, that's fine from their perspective. The the thing is that we're now getting the Pentagon investigating things based on very, very little evidence. Essentially just like somebody had a spooky experience at the ranch, which for them seemed very, very real. Uh, but there's no actual evidence of anything at all going on at Skinwalker Ranch. There's, no, there's nothing repeatable has come forward. None of the studies have really produced anything. All the stuff you see on the TV show is very inconclusive. Uh, some of the stuff is, is basically just flat wrong. Uh, but there's really no good evidence that anything is going on there. And yet somehow... Like this led to the formation of a uh, an organization to study UFOs you know, because of Skinwalker Ranch. You know, not because people were seeing UFOs in the sky, but because of these strange things that were happening uh, at that people thought were happening at Skinwalker Ranch. And if there was some evidence of them actually happening, that would be great. But it's you know I think it kind of boils down to individual testimony uh which you know you know from your perspective obviously as an experience so that's something that's very relevant but from the pentagon's perspective can they just say that you know a guy saw these these tubular bells appear so we'll give them money no it had to be done in secret they had to hide it harry reed had to disguise 
this program as a, a study of the future of aviation technology, when really he was wanting to study essentially supernatural stuff that was going on at the ranch. Well, see, this is interesting because Skinwalker Ranch, there is, again, another story there that I feel like nobody's latched onto or practically nobody. That is the, maybe the answer, and maybe you know the answer to this. So Skinwalker for me used to be, you know, when you read the books, right? It's like, oh my God, to, to someone like me, it's like, oh, this is amazing, you know, portals and blah. And then when you, the thing that really turned me off to it was seeing the show. When you see the people in charge, it's like, oh no, these are just some yeah. doofuses who are like, suckling at the teat of, uh, you know, the real estate mogul. <laughs> but I think it was like the second or maybe third episode. I only watched a few because it was like watching paint dry to me. But they dug into the dirt and found that it was radioactive and that there had been radioactive dirt, you know, due to nuclear testing and they were sort of downwind of this nuclear testing. Is that why people are getting mysterious cancer? Is that why people are having hallucinations? Is that what this is? Is that possible? Well, probably not, no, because all of Utah is <laughs> downwind of these nuclear sites. It's not like this one little five-acre spot is where all this, this, this nuclear dust ended up. So there's nothing at all really special about that particular spot. And you know, the idea that people are you know, getting lots of diseases doesn't... It hasn't really been any real study of that. Are they getting them with more frequency than just the general population? You know, if you get 50 people, someone's going to get cancer in the next you know, so many years. It's just an unfortunate fact of life. Uh, so I, you know, I, don't, I don't think there's anything particularly unique about this. This uh, I can't remember how many acres it is, like say 80 acres of land. And if you look at it, it's not even a... a a round area there's there's a bit there's an l-shaped bit and then there's another bit that isn't, isn't even connected really it's just diagonally connected and then there's all these other ranches all around and there's some oil fields to the south and then there's an indian reservation uh, uh area to the north and then there's this, the mesa and anyone can go walk on the mesa and this is you know it's all just right there and there's nothing really going on except for what you know when people concentrate on the ranch and they start looking really hard then they see things, which is what happens when you look really hard. If you sit outside at night and look up in the sky, you're going to see some lights in the sky. And you know, some of those you might not be able to, to identify quickly, if at all, because not everything is on, uh, on flight radar. Uh, and you're going to hear strange noises. And sometimes your, your cattle are going to be attacked by dogs that run away. And then you can claim it was a werewolf. So... Things are going to happen, and if you're really focused on looking for strange things, it becomes very easy to interpret ordinary things as strange things. Hmm. All right, that's it. Non-subscribers, please consider joining unknowncountry.com to get the rest of this interview. Uh, I'm going to try to talk to Mick about some of the stuff I talked about in my previous two solo episodes. How do you think that's going to go? You're going to have to subscribe to find out. Um, and, of course, get all of... Uh, Dreamland from forever, <laughs> like a million episodes or something like that, roughly. Um, if not, Whitley will be back next week, and I will see you in about a month. Take care, and thanks for watching and or listening, depending on how you are receiving this. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. 
Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.